0: Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians and chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to take the time to read the entire passage this morning. In fact, we may even venture into part of 13. We'll see how we go. First Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute, mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we bestow the greater honour. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that lacked it, that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Let's keep reading. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have nothing, uh, but have not love, I gain nothing. Nothing. Let's leave it there for now. In preparation for uh, our time in the Word today, uh, I've thought and pondered and considered many ramifications of the texts that we've read, not just in the last 24 hours, but over the course of the last couple of months, really. And I've noted, in my own mind at least, as I see it, that there are three major problems in the church at large as it relates to spiritual gifts. And we are commencing. We sort of started to commence a while ago on this subject. We're going to probably have introduction 1.2 today, and then next time we're together, we're really going to launch into some very specific things. But I've noted three particular problems in my mind that are seen Uh, in church today as it relates to this subject of spiritual gifts. Number one, the first problem is that far too few Christians are involved in a local church, but instead operate as a spectator on the sidelines. These Christians often attend and enjoy the fellowship, but are unprepared to be an active participant in the work. Sadly, they rob themselves of the joy associated with discovering and exercising their God-given gifts for the benefit of the whole. I believe this is a, a real problem, a serious problem. I believe, dare I say it this morning, uh, at the risk of causing offence, that that's a reality in our church. That there are many who would attend. There are many who are part of our assembly, uh, maybe even on the membership role. That are unprepared to be actively engaged in the work of the ministry, utilizing the gift or gifts that God has given them for the benefit of the whole. And that's a real problem because God gifted you at the moment of salvation when he gave you the Holy Spirit for the purpose of service within the local church. Now I want to be careful because we hear quite often perhaps messages or discussions on the subject of you know we need to get more involved and we need to do this and we need to do that and I want to shy away from that very quickly. This is not a message about we're not doing enough here we need to get more involved and there's more things we could that's not what this is about. This is about you and the Holy Spirit who has empowered and gifted you to serve In a local church, if this is the local church God has put you in, then you better serve. Not because the pastor says so, but because the Spirit gifted you intentionally to serve in a local assembly. There are so many in church today who are spectators, who watch from a distance, who attend, who discuss, who share with one another a little bit here and there, but do not actively use their God-given gift or gifts in the realm of the local church. That's one major problem in church today. The second problem is somewhat connected. It relates to those who are busily engaged in the activities of a local church. They're doing this and they're doing that, and we look at them and say, "These people are just—they're full on, they're zealous, and that's wonderful." But they're operating as square pegs in round holes because they're not functioning in a ministry which corresponds to their spiritual gifts. And that's as deadly as the first, because if God has gifted you in a certain way, which he has if you're a Christian and he may have gifted you in many ways, according to the scriptures, you may have a multiplicity of gifts. It would be a great shame for you to be misusing those by being involved in something that is not your corresponding with your spiritual gift. So we see the importance of knowing, distinguishing, understanding, discerning the gifts that the Spirit of God has entrusted to us that we might serve in a ministry that corresponds to that. And a big part of that, and I confess this morning, a big part of that is the elders' responsibility to look out amongst the local assembly and identify gifts in people and therefore give opportunities to be involved. And we're seeking to do that. But we see those two major problems... One is, I'm not prepared to be involved and use my gifts. The other is, I'm prepared to do anything, but I don't really know what my gifts are. And therefore, I could be a detriment to the ministry because that's not really what God wanted me to do within the realm of a local church. See those two things? Thirdly, the third problem that I see as it relates to spiritual gifts and the church is an incorrect view of the spiritual gifts which produces confusion and unbiblical practice. This is a very dangerous one because today we have a plethora of ideas as it relates to spiritual gifts out there today, uh, what is for today, what is not for today. We have all of these other uh, realms of great confusion and uh, somewhat concern when we look at certain things going on in in the realm of church today and this, this is really difficult to meander our way through. What is truth? What does the Bible teach about spiritual gifts? And we want to deal with that over the course of the next little while. just want to make a quick comment, if I may, about the first problem that I mentioned, which is that too few Christians are involved. Uh, I want to uh, just direct my uh, thoughts for just a moment to the senior citizens in our assembly, if I may, for a moment. Um, it's very important that senior citizens, you don't think that there is ever a retirement point of your spiritual gifts. You say, yeah, why would you say that? Well, here's the reason. It is easy if you've been involved in church for a long time to step back and say, well, you know what? I've been involved in church. I've, I've taught Sunday school. I've done this. I've done that. And now it's just time for me to sit back and relax. You know, I'm in my seniors. Now, that's not a biblical truth. Now, your role may change because of your physical inability to do things, but your gifts have not. And God desires every one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, who are saved and gifted to use those gifts in the local church. And they may change how they operate fully in our lives. And that the way it looks may morph, but they must still always be used. There is no retirement in the realm of spiritual gifts. Very important we understand that. Each of these three problems will be addressed in our series on spiritual gifts as we go. So this morning, spiritual gifts part two of I don't know how many. So stay tuned. Let's just pray. Lord, as we look at this passage of scripture, as we look at this subject, we need your help. Uh, I make no claim on having all the answers, but I'm thankful that you do and I'm thankful that the word does. Help us to be diligent students. Help us, Lord, to be willing to lay aside our uh, personal opinions uh, in order to understand what the Scripture says. For all of us, uh, myself included, that, Lord, we would uh, look to what the Scriptures teach. Uh, Lord, not necessarily the background that we've had, uh, not necessarily to what our experiences are, but what the Word of God teaches us. Help us, we pray, in these next few moments together to get a handle on uh, what is being taught here by the Apostle Paul and others in the realm of spiritual gifts. In Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, this is really partly an introduction, but we're going to make a start. We're going to end at a very uh, suspenseful moment that will leave you going, ah, I'm just telling you now, so just get ready for that. So the first thing I want to talk about as it relates to this spiritual gifts discussion is not so much biblical but historical to begin with. So the first thing is I want us to understand some history and viewpoints. This is crucial because it'll help us understand what's going on in church today. We need to understand some history, some viewpoints, and a survey of Christianity at large presents us with four general positions as it relates to spiritual gifts. Four things, four different uh, opinions, beliefs, etc., The first one that I want to talk about is the position called classical Pentecostalism. Now, I want to say at this point in time, uh, before I even mention these four, uh, that in no way is there any intent on my part to belittle, to ridicule, to mock, or to condescend to any other group of people with their opinions or viewpoints. Um, that's not the point of this. This is just to provide some factual information um, that you can study yourself and look at so that you can have an idea. Okay, So please don't misunderstand anything that happens uh, in this message. Classic Pentecostalism. I have a little bit of reading to do for you, some study that I've done. The historic beginning of the modern tongues movement took place in 1900 at the Bethel School of Topeka, Kansas. Okay? Over 115 years ago. The founder, Charles Parham, encouraged his students to examine the apostolic age to determine whether or not the baptism of the Holy Spirit was an event subsequent to salvation. Here's what he did. He said to his students at that time, I want you to study the New Testament and determine for me whether or not the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the thing that happens at salvation. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, being, meaning that the Holy Spirit comes to live with him, or whether that happens at a subsequent time. Nothing wrong with that study. Okay? That's what he said to his students, we're going to do that. So that's what they did. But a lady, Miss Agnes Osman, quite well known, that name, requested after study that hands be laid on her to receive the Holy Spirit. This is in the, uh, in the uh, college that they were doing moments later she began to speak only in what was considered at the time the Chinese language and this lasted for three days Charles Parham believed this incident to be the restoration of the Pentecostal power of the book of Acts. Parham began an evangelistic effort in various cities which he identified as Pentecostal or the full gospel. By 1905 there were over 25,000 converts in Texas alone. William Seymour a black American minister came into contact with Charles Parham's teaching and was then called to Los Angeles where he led the renowned Azusa Street Revival. Some of you may have heard of that. Seymour spoke in tongues for the first time on April the 9th, 1906. Seymour's activities associated with this Azusa Street Revival launched what is now called American Pentecostalism or classic Pentecostalism. And Azusa Street became a Pentecostal Mecca where pilgrims from all over the globe would come and receive the Holy Spirit and his gifts of supernatural signs and wonders in 1906. Now, fact here for us to understand, it is important to note that Agnes Osmonds, that lady in the college, her Chinese was later proven factually to be gibberish and her so-called spiritual scribble, she also went about writing things on paper that was spirit-filled, so-called, was published in a magazine and identified as random hieroglyphics, which was indecipherable and had nothing in common with Chinese. Okay. You say, what's the point? Just some history, factual history. Okay? We're not making a stab here, just some factual history. Classic Pentecostalism began there in around about 1905 by the way, which is worldwide now, and we probably know that. The second view is what we know as the charismatic movement. It's also known by the name Neo-Pentecostalism or New Pentecostalism. This began in the mid-1950s, largely through the efforts of the Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship International of Los Angeles and the Assemblies of God Minister David Duplessis. He promoted the Pentecostal experience to non-Pentecostal denominations. On August the 3rd in 1960, Episcopal priest Dennis Bennett of St. Mark's Church in California announced in his pulpit that he had been baptised by the Holy Spirit and then went on to speak in tongues. Bennett came under immediate criticism and resigned after the third of three services held on that day. The matter, however was so widely publicized that this event is often viewed as the founding of the charismatic movement as it spread to every denomination and cut across every theological boundary. The charismatic movement is marked by less concern for the nature of the new birth and greater emphasis placed on spirit baptism and tongues. Key organizations and figures to note associated with this movement include Trinity Broadcasting Network, established by Paul Crouch, In 1973, the International Catholic Charismatic Conference of Rome, established in 1975, a very unusual connection. Uh, Oral Roberts and his son Richard, some other names you'll know, are Kenneth Hagen, Pat Robertson, Rex Humbert, Jimmy Swaggett, Kenneth Copeland, Jim Baker, and Benny Hinn. These are people very, very connected with what's called the charismatic movement. Again... Just factual information here. The third group. So we have the first two, Pentecostal, classic Pentecostalism. Then we have the charismatic movement. The third group is called the third wave theology, which is uh, a strange name. But the reason is we've had the first wave, Pentecostal, second wave, charismatic. Now the third wave. I'm not sure if the group could come up with um, maybe a different name. But anyway, that's what they went with. Third wave movement. Third, Third wave theology, I should say. This is also known as signs and wonders movement. Or the third wave movement. The third group consists of largely mainline evangelicals who do not want to be identified with the first two groups and yet believed in miraculous gifts, tongues and healing for today. They teach that the new birth and spirit baptism occur at the same time. Do you get that? New birth, regeneration and the spirit coming to dwell within at the same time, which is uh, what majority of us would hold to in this place. They teach that the new birth and spirit baptism occur at the same time and give great place to the miraculous gifts, viewing them as the long-buried truth that has once again come to light, generating widespread excitement. This movement was started by a man many of us probably have heard of, C. Peter Wagner of the Fuller Theological Seminary Missions Department. Also part of the Third Wave movement, uh, John Wimber of the Vineyard Christian Fellowship in California along with Dallas Seminary Professor Jack Deer. Leaders of the movement are concerned with healing and the Christian response to demonic activity. A subset of this group is the Open But Cautious group. That's what they're called, Open But Cautious. This position and expression is coined by a man called Wayne Grudem. Of noted evangelical teachers, these include Martin Lloyd-Jones, Robert Saucy, John Piper and Wayne Grudem himself. Charismatics are often openly critical of third wavers, as they call them. Okay. Uh, again, I hope that you're not misunderstanding. This is just information. Okay, um, and well studied, by the way. Okay, this is not just you know random. Well studied. There's a fourth group then. So, classic Pentecostalism, charismatic movement, third wave theology. Fourthly, we have cessationism. This is the view that the miraculous gifts ceased with or very soon after the ministry of the apostles to whom and to whom only they were given. It understands that the miraculous and non miraculous gifts appear in the same lists in Scripture because they all came from the same source God's grace and the Spirit's power. Yet it recognizes that different gifts are given by God for different purposes. This view is not concerned with the experiences of a Christian, but with a careful, non-speculative study of the Scriptures. It minimizes the element of human experience by not allowing experience to influence decisions of biblical interpretation. This is the historic position of the Calvinistic Reformation, Jonathan Edwards, and many Puritans. Now, you'd probably go, wow. <laughs> okay, those are, those are the four semi-distinct positions as it relates to spiritual gifts. And you'll note that it's not about all spiritual gifts, it's about some of them. Uh, But this is what we need to understand when we survey Christianity today. Usually, mostly, people fit into one of those four categories, and I'm sure there's other splinter groups that come off them, but they're the generally four four categories. The classic Pentecostalism, uh, the neo-charismatic movement or um, the charismatic movement as a whole, the third wave theology, or cessationism. Those are the four, okay? Need to understand that because as we move into this category of discussion, uh, we need to see where we stand individually and then as a church. Okay, that's some history. Secondly, second point, let's define now the definition and purpose of spiritual gifts. Let's take a few moments to do this. So that's all well and good to have an idea of what they think out there, but now we need to define ourselves. What is a spiritual gift and what's the purpose of it? So let me give you a definition, I think a good one. A spiritual gift is the God-given capacity of every Christian to carry out his function in the body of Christ. Let me say that again. A spiritual gift is the God-given capacity of every Christian to carry out his function in the body of Christ. In our text, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, please look at this verse. Paul says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The purpose of the spiritual gift is the common good. In other words, it is the building up of the believers in a local church. I know I've said this many times, I'm going to say it again. Your spiritual gift is not for you. It's not for selfish it's not that i would be satisfied with what i can do it's for one another building up mutual dependence and edification i want to make just a couple of comments about spiritual gifts as revealed in the scriptures before we look specifically at some today let me just give you a, uh, a couple of thoughts here first thing a spiritual gift is a supernatural ability given by God to the believer for the purpose of serving. We well, need to understand this is a supernatural gift. Okay? Now, sometimes when we think of supernatural, we get this weird idea that somehow, you know, we're going to start levitating or something, or we're going to, we're going to have the ability to fly or have invisibility or something. That's not what we mean by supernatural. We mean supernatural by means of its origin. So you might possess a spiritual gift that looks like something that the world has, but the difference here is it was directly imparted to you by the Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural gift given for the purpose of service within the local church. Secondly, a spiritual gift is not the same as the gift of the Spirit. Do we get that? A spiritual gift is not the same as the gift of the Spirit. In the Bible, the gift of the Spirit is the fact that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within the believer at the moment of salvation. But a spiritual gift is what he imparts to us to serve. Understand? I hope that makes sense. A spiritual gift and the gift of the Spirit are two different things in the Bible. We need to understand the distinction there. One relates to his person dwelling in and one relates to the gifts he has given to us to operate in his church. Number 3. I've said this before as well. Spiritual gifts are not the same as the fruit of the spirit. Okay, Galatians chapter 5, the children are learning about the spiritual uh, the I just did it. The fruit of the spirit next door. The fruit of the Spirit is not the same thing as spiritual gifts. The fruit of the Spirit is what the Spirit is developing in us to become more and more like Christ. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, etc., etc. All of those things, those nine fruit listed in Galatians 5, is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. That's not the same as the gift that has been given to us to serve. Okay, There's a distinction there too. Number four. The Bible teaches that the offices of the Holy Spirit are different from the gifts of the Spirit. Now, I hope I'm not confusing us too much here this morning, but you may have to listen to this message a few times, perhaps. So here's what I mean. An office of the Holy Spirit, we're going to read about in a moment. We have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers in Ephesians chapter 4. That's the office of the Holy Spirit. Or a gift given by the Holy Spirit. But someone can have the gift of the Holy Spirit, a specific gift of the Holy Spirit, without the office. So here's what I mean. You may have the gift of teaching, but you may not be the pastor. You understand that? Okay, you may have the gift of wisdom, but you may not be an elder. Elder. So we see there are offices as well that don't necessarily mean that uh, you have to be in in the office to have the gift at all. Okay? I feel like I'm blowing your mind, but anyway, we'll see how we go. Another way to say this is not every Christian who's been given the gift of teaching should be ordained as pastor-teacher. Not every Christian. Okay? But every pastor must have the gift of teaching. Right? Okay. We'll come back to that. Number five. I've said this as well. Giftedness is not spirituality. The dispensing of the gifts is not on the basis of spirituality, but on God's sovereign choice. So we need to stop doing this. This man is so gifted. What a spiritual man. That's wrong. That's wrong. This man is so gifted. I have no idea whether he's a spiritual man. Potentially. okay. We don't look at someone's gifting and say, Wow, look at that person. Look at all that they can do. Look at what God has given them. They must be super spiritual. Okay, That's not how it works at all. In fact, may I say to you, oftentimes the more gifts, the more prone that individual is to fail and fall in all kinds of areas. Okay, Giftedness is not spirituality. Number six. The spiritual gifts were not given to make us proud, but to encourage dependence. Again, you say, wow, look at all these gifts. Wow, you know, look how good I am. Look at what the Holy Spirit is giving. I must be something special. No, that's not right. Only the Lord Jesus is something special. They're not given to... Make us proud, but to encourage interdependence, mutual dependence upon one another. Because even though you may have all these gifts, you are lacking some. Nobody has all of the spiritual gifts, which is point number seven. Nobody has all of the spiritual gifts. There's nobody in this place who is able to cover every aspect. Otherwise, there'd be no need for the body. Otherwise, we'd just have one person in that church and we'd say, "Uh aha, that's one church there because they've got all the gifts of the Holy Spirit and they can just go and do it. That's not how it works. God designed it that you would not have this, that they would have this, that you need them, that they need you. And this works in mutual dependence for the glory of God. Number eight, there is a clear distinction between spiritual gifts and natural talents. Okay, There are many talented people in this room and you've had those talents for a long time. You've had those talents since you were born. They are talents you have developed or whatever else. Um, those talents may not necessarily be spiritual gifts. Okay, spiritual gifts are given to you at the point of salvation. I know there was a huge amount there. and Hopefully in due course, we'll cover some more of that. The third point and the final point, which is where I'm going to leave you in suspense after a little while, is the first thing. Uh, that we want to note in this well firstly that the point is spiritual gifts in the bible we're looking at spiritual gifts in the bible and this is where we're going to begin looking specifically at what god says these gifts are spiritual gifts in the bible the first thing we must note and i'll have you turn if you would please to 1st peter chapter 4 1st peter chapter 4 We must understand that every Christian, every born-again, every individual who's regenerated by the Spirit of God has at least one gift given to them by the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 is what Peter says. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God... Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Everybody has at least a gift. You have no reason or right to say, well, the Holy Spirit somehow skipped over me. If he did, you're not his. Because when you became a Christian, you were given at least a gift. And we know what the point of the gift is in verse uh, 11 there. That God would be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So in studying the scriptures, when you take the scriptures as a whole, there are four key passages that relate to spiritual gifts. And we're going to look at each of them quickly before we finish. Turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 12. If you think the number 12, you'll find that most of the gifts are found in a chapter 12. Okay, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. If you ever stuck, think 12. Okay. Romans 12, beginning in verse 6. Paul writes, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. A little addendum. Interestingly, in nearly every passage that relates to the spiritual gifts, the very next verse relates to the subject of love. Let love be genuine. That's interesting. 1 Corinthians 12 we read, and then 1 Corinthians 13, what does it begin with? If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am nothing. Interesting, love is always connected with these gifts. So in verses 6, 7, and 8, we have seven gifts listed here. Let me give them to you. Seven listed gifts. Firstly, we have prophecy. And this is where you're not going to appreciate it me because I'm not going to give you any of the definitions today, just going to give you the list Okay, prophecy the second one is service verse 7 the third one is teaching the fourth one is exhortation fifth is contribution or giving sixth leading And then lastly, in this portion, acts of mercy. So if you miss those, we have prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, contribution or giving, leading, and acts of mercy. Okay, seven listed in Romans chapter 12. Let's go across to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And find with me verse 8. And in here we have nine spiritual gifts listed. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Okay, here they are. Number one, in verse eight, the utterance of wisdom. Number two, the utterance of knowledge. Number three, faith. Number four, healing. Number five, miracles number six prophecy number seven discernment of spirits or distinguishing between spirits number eight tongues and number nine interpretation of tongues so again utterance of wisdom utterance of knowledge faith healing working of miracles prophecy discernment of spirits tongues interpretation of tongues okay hopefully you're still with me let's go to first corinthians 12 verse 28 we note some extras here and god has appointed in the church first apostles second prophets third teachers then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Okay? Here we have eight listed gifts. Number one, apostles. Number two, prophets. Number three, teachers. Then miracles. Gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and tongues. Again, apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and tongues. Hopefully everybody's still with me. One to go. Let's turn with me please to Ephesians chapter 4. And beginning in verse 7, Ephesians 4 and verse 7. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended. Far above all heavens that he might fill all things verse 11 and he gave the apostles the prophets and the evangelists the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of christ here we see four listed spiritual gifts or if i may say in brackets offices okay just to categorize these correctly offices and we have here apostles Prophets, evangelists, and pastor-teachers. In the Greek, that's combined, not separated. Okay? Pastor-teachers. That's one. Now, that is a huge amount of academic information this morning. And um, I'm not going to apologize because it's necessary for the foundation of what we're doing moving forward But let me just uh, quickly summarize this in a, hopefully, a simple way so that we can conclude this morning. When we account for all the double-ups between the different passages, because there's been a number that double-up or similar words in the Greek and so forth, I believe, and this is me, different people have different positions on this, but I believe and count a total of 18 spiritual gifts. Now, some say there's 16, some say there's 21... I see 18 there. If you see 19 or 20, that's fine. I see 18 there. So we're going to work off what I see there for now. And you can correct me if I'm wrong if you want to. 18 gifts. And here they are. Okay. In totality, 18 gifts that we're going to look at. Not for 18 weeks either, by the way. Okay. We're going to get through a few each week. 18 gifts. Here they are. Apostleship. Prophecy. Healing miracles tongues interpretation of tongues i've done it in this order because there are those who would have us believe and at this point in time i'm not going to give my personal position just yet we're going to look at it but these would be what some would call temporary sign gifts okay these first six apostleship prophecy healing miracles tongues interpretation of tongues category one category two is considered generally permanent gifts. And these include ministering or serving, same concept, teaching, exhortation, giving or contributing, number five, ruling, administration or governance, all the same gift, different words, acts of mercy, number six, number seven, wisdom, number eight, knowledge, number nine, faith, Number 10, discernment of spirits. Number 11, evangelist. Number 12, pastor, teacher. Six in the sign gifts, 12 in the permanent gifts, giving us a total of 18. And I can see you all going, we're going to be here for the next full year doing this. That, if you like, is a summary, an introduction to all of this that we're going to look at some more and we're going to um, isolate truth and, and try to understand exactly what... Uh, Paul has us uh, to see and believe here. I will say this um, in closing. This subject is highly controversial and I don't want it to be. I really don't. And so I am sure that some of what I share, there will be differences of opinion. Uh, I trust that there will be an understanding that uh, whatever is said is said uh, from a a heart of love and care for you. uh, And that never intended to ever cause offense ever. Uh, Nor do I want to offend anybody else in uh, our community or anything like that. Um, But we are going to study this out. And I I would be failing as a pastor if I just simply sidestepped controversial issues. So I can't do that. Um, Next week, Lord willing, we will commence a thorough study of these categories and some of the gifts. Um, In the meantime, this is what I'd have us do as a church in closing. Let me encourage you to pray. Pray for a few things. Pray, first of all, for wisdom, for the preacher dealing with... This subject. Pray also that the Lord would begin to reveal to you what your spiritual gift or gifts are for functioning in this local church, because that's what they're for. That you would not be a square peg in a round hole, but that you would fulfill all that God wants you to do here in this local assembly. It's absolutely critical that we do that. So let me encourage you to pray and ask the Lord to do that. We don't want to get all side. Uh, Stepping away from truth because there's all these things you know i went on the internet last night and I, i just typed in spiritual gifts wow in three seconds google told me there was like 30 million pages on this subject or something i just went through the top 15 or 20 and the top 15 or 20 were all about tests that you can do to know your spiritual gift now i have a real problem with that i did that years ago I did that years ago at a church and they they handed out this fly and you went through and you ticked and ticked and five and six and four and three. At the end, it told you what your spiritual gift was. Um, Now, if I tell you what some of my spiritual gifts were um, back then, you would say, oh, I think they might have got the test wrong. Um, Those are not those spiritual gift tests are not how God wanted us to figure them out. We're to rub shoulders with each other and say, you know what? You have a special gifting in this area. And we say, well, you know, you're such a blessing in this. You're so merciful. Well, you must have this. And, and as we work together and grow together and rub shoulders with one another, we begin to see who has gifts in different areas. There's no spiritual test for this. There's no litmus test that we can take and go, aha, see, now I'm a teacher. You know, just because you like teaching doesn't make you a teacher. And that's the problem that we have with these type of tests. So we're not going to do that. I'm not going to hand out a spiritual test thing to you. I'm just going to teach us what the scripture says and hopefully as you submit to the spirit of God and others look at your life, we will figure out one another and say, this is where you should be. This is what you should be doing. That's the goal. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, this overview today. Really just the beginning. Uh, We have much to cover. Uh, Thank you for the attention of uh, your people here today. I pray that you would uh, cause us to be um, serious in our study of these Uh, This important subject, you've mentioned it many times in your word, and so we see it as a very important topic, especially in the realm of the local church. So help us to um, study it out uh, with a desire to know truth, not to be swayed by popular opinion, but by the word, not by experience, but by truth in your scriptures. Help us to know all of these things, we pray. We look forward to our studies together and commit uh, this entire subject to you. For your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen.